So welcome everyone. Welcome back to Isn't Mo Quarantine though, the season two of Isn't Mo Muslim though. Inshallah, today we have Omar Osman. Brother Omar is from the Dallas area and he works professionally as a technology consultant. He's a founding member of Muslim Matters and Qalam Institute and gives presentations all around the U.S. Uh, and Islamic centers on different consulting and leadership presentations. So, Brother Osman, can you uh, tell us a little bit more about what you do and how everything's been changing? Yeah, so, well, Jackalaka for having me on, Ziad. Um, I work full-time in IT. Uh, that's been my, my gig for quite a while now. Um, and then side projects. So, work with Gullam Institute. Primarily, the thing that I do there is the Khatib workshops. We do the public speaking training uh, for brothers and sisters, actually. But then we do have a special focus on the actual khutbah itself. And then with Muslim Matters, recently I stepped back in um, in a leadership role there. So got some good work going on there. And then, yeah, other than that, I just keep busy with... I like to say I like to write, but I don't write as much as I would like. So that's kind of where <laughs> He does at. have a newsletter. So if y'all want to subscribe, I personally do. And I, I enjoy the stuff he puts out. Um, so you say you work in IT. So I'm wondering, have you worked from home before? Or is this like your first time with the whole pandemic? No. So very interestingly, I have been working from home since, uh, gosh, 2007. Oh, wow. Um, so you're a pro already. <laughs> in 2007, uh, I started working from home full time. And then after maybe a year and a half or two years, I left that job and took a different consulting role. And then I started traveling like every week. So then I was completely on the road. Then I left that to go back to another role that was 100% work from home, which I did for, I think, like six, seven years or so. And then about, what? let's see, that was until 2017, I worked from home. Then I took a job where I was in the office like three days a week and then home two days a week. That's my current gig. And then obviously now with, with all the changes, it's back to working from home full time. So working from home for me is not new. It's having all of these new coworkers at home that's a little bit different. <laughs> so when you were working from home for like seven years at the time, was that whole company work from home or was it just a few of the roles? It was actually that for that one, that that longer stretch when I was working from home, it was the whole team. The whole team was remote. Okay, yeah. I, I found that um I found a few companies who've done that, but it seems primarily in the software industry. Was that an IT job as well? Yeah, it was an IT job. You know, I was going to say like a lot of a lot of companies won't announce that they have work from home. But what you'll find within a lot of companies that they'll have teams that are work from home or roles that are work from home. So it's really not that uh, not that uncommon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I've, I've noticed, uh, especially with the companies that do have like remote, like if they're fully remote, that's either something that they primarily display. They're like, hey, our team is fully remote. Come join us. Like we can be flexible. Or as you said, it's not like really advertised, but they do have like sections of it that are like that. It's more if you're in the industry, you kind of just figure out, oh, this company has that. Yeah. And, you know, and, and some of it and what I think what's interesting about the current situation is a lot of companies still have that mentality of, you know, like we have to see you at work, like we have to watch you work. So there's this element of not trusting employees to do their work from home. Um, but I think. Now what we're seeing is when everyone's forced to work from home, you can still get it done. 
Um, but I think that's one reason that people don't publicize is because they still have because it, it does vary from team to team or even manager to manager. So I've seen situations where teams will be doing similar types of work, but one mm-hmm. manager is insistent on people coming in and the other one is a little bit more hands off and letting people work from home. Yeah, I think especially like right now what I've seen at my company is they're definitely on the more towards the end of worrying about if people are going to get work done. Um, we recently had a meeting for my department and we had people who had never been in our meetings before. Like we have a weekly meeting in person, you know, before this whole pandemic. Every week we'd have a meeting with our department. It's only like a group of like 10 people. But now that same, you know, meeting has like 15 to 20 people and a lot of them are higher ups or people who are like, you know, connected to our department in different ways that were never there before. But now it's like, I think they want to be on the call or they want to be in the meeting just because they're worried, right? They're like, oh, is everything actually getting done because everyone's at home? Yeah, and it, you know, it's just, it's so, it's kind of one of those, if you get, you get it all deep into like the management and leadership side of it, it's just very weak leadership and management. Like if you haven't set expectations or accountability measures, then yeah, you're going to struggle keeping people accountable. But I think for the most part, if you have set clear expectations and you have competent people, they're pretty good being left alone to do what they need to do. Definitely. So what are what are some tips for working at home that you found have benefited you over the years? Man, so there's, there's a lot. I would say <laughs> one is environmental. Um, if you have the ability to have a separate office space, then uh that that's like indispensable um alhamdulillah when we when we bought our our house uh 10 12 years ago it was the first house that we moved into um i made sure to have a dedicated office space even though it meant sacrificing a bedroom just because i had the expectation that i'd be working from home full time so that culture in our home is kind of stuck that there's always a dedicated office space uh just because i'm literally in there like all day because uh, I wasn't going to an office. So having a separate space is probably like the biggest one. And then if you don't have your own office space, I would say you still need to carve out a spot. So you know that there's a certain spot where this is where I work. And, I, and I, it's sometimes it might be a little bit more symbolic. You know, sometimes it might be your dining table or something like that. But I would say even then block off like this chair on the dining table is the working station. Just mm-hmm. so you have in your head, like when I'm sitting here, I'm at work. When I'm not sitting here, I'm not at work. Um, so just having that environmental setup is, is vital. The second thing is, I would say, is routine. So people have this idea that working from home means that you just roll out of your bed in your PJs and then you just go hop on your computer and start taking calls or responding <laughs> to emails and stuff. And if you, I mean, you can do that, obviously, but you're not going to be very productive. So my recommendation is even when I work from home, I literally, I do my best to get up at the same time. Obviously, sometimes you do end up sleeping in a little bit, but I still wake up, take a shower and get dressed up like as if I'm going to the office. That Okay. Now that doesn't mean that I'm wearing like business casual clothes at home. I'm still wearing maybe like a t-shirt and jeans, but Mm -hmm. it's the idea of like, you got dressed, you got cleaned up, dressed up, like combed your hair type of thing, and then came to your working place. Um, and then beyond that, I would say, then it's just managing the stuff that you have at home. So if you have kids, they need to know like when you're, 
if you have your headphones on, for example, like, like your work headset, they need to know not to bother you. Or if the office door is closed, not to bother you. Um, and then the last thing is, is making sure that you've got set like some clear boundaries. So one thing that gets lost is taking a lunch break just because you can sit at your desk and just keep eating. So mm-hmm. I would say make sure that you're giving yourself those breaks to get up and like leave and eat and things like that. And then last thing is when you're done working at the end of the day, we have a tendency to just like close the computer or leave it docked. I would physically shut it down and close it so that I know I'm like, quote unquote, clocked out and now no longer thinking about work. Because the the trap is when you're working from home, if if you're not disciplined about your schedule, you can just end up working the whole time. Like you actually might end up working like 10 or 12 hour days. Not that that's a bad thing depending on your role, but you want to make sure that it's intentional, not just happening because you were lazy about it. Yeah, what I think was really interesting is given our current climate of having smartphones, of having everything you know available whenever we want it, especially our work information, we've already had people blur the boundaries of what's work, what's home, right? Like sometimes it depends on the company and you have to set those boundaries with your company. But some people are at home, it's like 10 p.m. and they'll respond to an email. Whereas some people, when they go home for the day, they won't respond until tomorrow at 9 a.m. when they're back in the office, right? It doesn't matter that they got the email on their phone or if they had the, you know, chat software, whether it's like Slack or whatever on their phone, they're not going to respond because they're not at work anymore. Um, Whereas some people, they'll respond no matter the time. And it's like they've blurred that boundary between work and home, even though they're actually two separate physical locations. And now when they're working from home, it's even more blurred. Like for them, it doesn't matter. It's just like, oh, I'm here, I'm doing work. It's like, why aren't you there and stuff? So, so a couple of things I do to keep it blurred aside from just the schedule is I make sure that there's nothing. So I've got a work computer and then I've got obviously my personal devices, right? And I make sure that I don't do anything personal on the work computer. I mean, that's just good practice in general yeah. uh, because you don't own that computer, right? Your company owns that computer. Mm-hmm. But working from home is especially important. So I would say that your work laptop should only be work. So there should not, you should not be checking your personal Gmail on there. You shouldn't be checking social media. I mean, those are probably blocked a lot of the time anyway. Yeah. Um, But I would say don't do any personal stuff off of your, your company device. And so that's one thing is that then when you're sitting at your office and you're at work, your personal devices should be off. You shouldn't be, have those other distractions around you. Um, so then that way, like when you're working, you're working. And then when you shut it down, you shut it down. Now you can go do personal stuff. As for the phone. Now that one's a little bit tougher because you have all the apps and stuff on your phone. What I have done is I made a separate page on the very far back of my phone. And that page has all my work apps on it. So my work outlook, my work chat, all that stuff is on that far last page. And I have the notifications turned off. So I just don't get alerted when I get work stuff. And if I'm out and about and I need to check something, I can scroll over there and look at it. Now, there are certain situations where um, there may be certain things that need to be done after hours, right? So there's maybe a couple of days a month here and there where I know that I need to be checking something at 8 or 9 p.m. So in that case, I'll just set a reminder on my phone that says, hey, check your work email. Or, or something like that. So I know to go in and, and take care of whatever I need to. 
that's a really interesting idea of just like having all those notifications off because usually half the time I'm just like swiping them away anyways because I'm like I'm not at work right now I'll look at it tomorrow and stuff no and um, you know and for a long time I actually had two phones oh really I literally I was, was the like, two, I had two cell phones and that, that was, was that the work gave you the phone or you just had it yourself no I went and got it myself because oh wow because I because that that stretch where I was working from home for for like six seven years mm-hmm. uh we had a really really hellish on call schedule to say the least mm. um so i had the second phone just i went and got it myself just to be like when i'm on call or this happening or that's something i grabbed my work phone but then aside from that when i don't have it i know that i can unplug because it was it was actually getting even though i'm from at home like it was getting very overwhelming just constantly getting work stuff pushed out to you yeah no, that definitely makes sense because some people would just be always no matter what time of the day right They'll just be doing work and it's like, okay, I'm not like that. I'm, you know, this is after hours. Please stop emailing me about stuff. Yeah. Um, but so you've had tons of experience working from home, but how are your kids kind of adapting to this new situation? Because I'm guessing for the most part, you know, they've been going to school and stuff. So they're used to like you working from home and they have that schedule. But how is it adapting now with everyone at home the whole day? Yeah, it's kind of weird because they're having to to do schoolwork and maintain some semblance of like a schedule they've got their google classroom stuff going so it's it's been weird like i mean it's only been what a week little over a week yeah Um, it feels like a month (laughs) yeah it feels like a month and so i i don't know that we've solved that problem like we're still very much adjusting to it Mm -hmm. i think one thing that like my wife has made it a point is to say like look the kids are stressed out and anxious and scared too. Like we can't just make everything rigid on them and be like, you got to do your schoolwork and then do your Quran and do this and do that and like make it difficult. So for right now, we're, we've eased up quite a bit on the scheduling. Like we're, we're kind of lax with the bedtime. We're a little bit lax and we're, we're trusting them right now in the sense that like, Hey, we'll remind you once or twice to do your schoolwork and then you got to take care of it. But I think another week max of letting people acclimate and then it's going to be like, okay, guys, like we really got to buckle down now. So it's our approach. I mean, we also have four of them at home. So we're, we're taking it a little bit easy just to let everyone kind of get in the swing of it um, before we try to get, I guess, rigidity for lack of better term, be more rigid with, with their schedule and checking in and all that stuff. Now, Debbie, one of the things I found interesting, I was reading an article about how, you know, people were saying, don't try to replicate the school schedule at home because the school having like such a schedule of like, okay, here's 30 minutes math. Here's like an hour lunch. Here's this and that is meant for more of crowd control. Like they have, you know, one teacher to 25 kids. They need that type of schedule to like crowd control, like manage 25 kids. But when you're at home and you have, you know, two, three, four kids, it's a little bit easier to kind of relax you don't have to be like okay this 15 minutes is going to be just math like it's like hey here's your guys's work you guys can get it done in the next few hours and let them you know go at their own pace because once again there's no need for a crowd control type of system exactly um and you know and i'm not the type of person that i don't even micromanage my own day mm-hmm. you know like uh at best i look i look at my calendar in the morning and kind of have an idea of when i have meetings usually my day is dictated by when i have meetings uh so like i kind of make hour by hour markers like okay 
you know, I, I can work until let's say 12 o'clock, then I've got, a, you know, meetings the rest of the day or something, something of that nature. With the kids, there's no way that you can plan out in that kind of detail. Like it's really difficult. So we, we do leave them alone. It's more, um, I mean, really it's what a lot of people do at work. It's more uh, objective oriented. Like, hey, you need to make sure here's the assignments that are due on this day and this day and this day. You need to get them done. Yeah. You know, whether you decide to sit down at, at you decide to wake up at 8 a.m. and do it and then play video games all day. Okay, cool. Uh, you wake up at 10 o'clock and lounge around and read a book and do other stuff. And then at one o'clock, you sit down and knock it out. Like it doesn't really matter just as long as the, the deadlines are being met. Um, but I think, and again, it, it's all changing, right? So in in a week or two that might be a lot different we might have to be more rigid especially if they're getting more work from the schools and things like that because it's not just an adjustment on on your end mm -hmm. it's <clears throat> the school as well they're having to on the fly suddenly start teaching everything virtually which is not something that they do and so i'm also envisioning that as the teachers get accustomed to it they'll maybe start pushing out more work and stuff like that as well so it's it's you know it's all a work in progress yeah, definitely. My wife teaches second grade and e-learning at that level is just, she's like, it doesn't really have that much of an effect. Like there's so much you need to do in person with that age group that she's just like, I don't know how much of an impact e-learning is having, but the kids have adapted much faster than the parents. Sometimes yeah. she said she'd call like the parents and be like, can you put the child on the phone? And then she'd tell them like, you know, two lines, but all right, go here and click on this. And they'd know where to go on their Chromebook, whereas the parent would be like, okay, where do I do now? Like, where do I go? And it was just so much harder when the kid knew like where to do everything. Yep. Yeah. My kids started using Zoom and they're like already changing up their backgrounds and all that <laughs> stuff. Like, okay. I mean, they're, they're doing stuff just intuitively playing around with it that in a work environment, people will share email tutorials like, oh, hey, here's how to get a cool background in your Zoom setup. And it's like, oh, that's awesome. Thanks. I'm going <laughs> to... I think the only tutorial anyone needs to send out is please how to mute yourself. Like, oh my God, yeah. the amount of people who don't know that. I was actually on a recent call with, um, or the the city had a call, the mayor had a call um, with all the faith leaders. So I kind of hopped on just to like figure out like what's the you know message going out from the city. And for a solid like 10 minutes in the middle of it, someone didn't have their phone on mute. And it was just like people saying, please mute your call. We can't hear the mayor. Yeah. Like, please mute. I was like, all right, if it happens at that level, I'm not too worried about it happening at like our Islamic org level. I feel like everyone has this issue then. That is literally everybody. Everyone that uses Zoom has that problem. But so in terms of, you know, in terms of the Islamic orgs, the ones that you're a part of, how they've been kind of adapting to this whole situation. Um it's it's weird right so like with muslim matters for example i mean that's it's an online presence to begin with mm -hmm. so you know that's kind of business as usual in a certain sense but there is also then this pressure of like hey we need to make sure that we've got relevant content people are searching for stuff what are we providing uh that's one i would say at, at gullum it's been a lot more challenging in the sense that because gullum has so much activity going on so there's the full-time seminary they have, uh, you know, they have classes with at local masjids. They've got the Roots program going. Uh, they have community, con you know, community arrangements with places even in other cities where Gullah instructors will go out like once a month and things like that. So there's a lot of activity that happens 
that's suddenly just been taken off the table. Um, so even, you know, seminaries like full-time instruction, having to shift all of that online. So, uh, like, know, the staff there and everything, they've done like a good job of adapting, but again, it's, it's challenging. It's unprecedented. And I think the one thing to keep in mind for people is there's no blueprint. Uh, there's not really a model for us in our lifetimes to look back and say like, oh, this is exactly like when that thing happened and this is what we should do. Um, I can't, I, I cannot think of anything in my life that was similar to this. The only thing that, uh, the only thing that comes to mind that had such like a drastic impact on things like people visiting the masjid or, you know, staying home or changing up programming or changing your behavior was 9-11, like the immediate aftermath of it. Yeah, but, definitely. But even then, there was no question of like canceling Friday prayer. Hmm. So this this is all just is really weird. It's just strange. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is how our communities have reacted. Um, I know in Chicagoland, it's been the full spectrum. We've had masjids that you know were at the forefront that were canceling Jumma, and then you know the following days canceled even daily salah before the governor even declared the stay at home in you know order um whereas other masjids were having jumma still and then even with the stay at home order they're still having their five daily salah and stuff so how's it been with your guys' local community so yeah we have so we have good leadership uh locally so they they were proactive in the sense of they were proactive in the sense of you know, talking about canceling the Friday prayers, mm -hmm. making sure people saw the importance of it. Masjid's moving then to going ahead and closing down the masjid like all together for all prayers. So a lot of places, you know, they got on board very quickly. Um, but even then, you hear stories of some masjid still having Friday prayer, but saying like, oh, we're going to only let 49 people in. Or places that Ha are having prayer like in the parking lot and not practicing social distancing and stuff like that so mm -hmm. again it's just like just like you said it's a mixed bag um you have people that are recognizing the the gravity of the situation and acting appropriately and trying to advise others and then i think you have a lot of people that for whatever reason aren't buying into it or they think that it's more pious to to push through um and, you know, and it is frustrating kind of seeing seeing those, I don't want to call it conflicts, but just seeing those different approaches, especially with the consequences at stake. But when you look at it in the broader context of the country in which we live, the way that our community is treating it is really not any different from any other aspect of the larger American community. Yeah, I mean, there's people out there going on spring break, just hanging out, and they're just like, yeah, there's no big deal. I remember when St. Patty's Day Right, got canceled in Chicago there was like interviews with people who still went out partying and there's this one girl who flew in and said yeah I'm immunocompromised but I take meds so I'll be okay and everyone yeah. in the comments was just like that's that does that's not how it works <laughs> yep but yeah one of the one of the interesting things I think about the community response is for one it's like there's usually there's a good amount of people who've kind of been proactive as you said you know there's a lot of people who are those good leaders who've taken that initial steps but it's even been within those communities sometimes you see a lot of people attacking them and it's just and you have all this like you know people backing them saying like hey medical reasons why that this needs to be canceled and, and then it gets into like a spiritual like superiority kind of thing like one of the massages around here they were saying 
oh, if you know the power of prayer, come to Jumasalah at our masjid. And it's like, why are you trying to make it that you're like morally superior when we're just trying to look out for the community, right? That's what really annoyed me. I was like, okay, I get it. Like, yeah. you guys want to have it, do your thing, but stop like trying to be more morally superior than others just because they're worried about their community. And I mean, for those people, it's just kind of like, so when you're sick, do you refuse medicine and going to the doctor and only pray? Like, that, you know, that's the thing, like... uh the way some people learn their religion, it's a little bit, I don't, I don't know what the word is, but, uh, but on the, on the flip side of it, I would say like the correct understanding is that our religion is practical, mm-hmm. you know, is the, and it boils down to that, that basically like tie your camel and half the buckle. It's like, it's not about prayer or medicine. It's take your medicine and then pray that it works. <laughs> yeah, no, Definitely. So how's uh, how's it been with your parents? Have they been understanding? I know some of the parents in our community have been really just like, you know what, I'm still going out. I'm going to the masjid. Yeah, man, that it's it's tough because we've been quarantined, so we haven't seen my parents live uh, not too far from us. So mm-hmm. um, we've been quarantined at home, so we haven't seen anyone, uh, including our family that lives nearby. And so, oh, okay. uh, yeah, it's hard because you're trying to you're trying to keep everyone protected, but it's difficult being like, yeah, we're here, but we're not seeing each other. Um, you know, and, I, and when, like my dad actually works at a hospital, so he's still going to work. Oh, dang. Because, yeah, you know, rough. the hospital doesn't close, right? So, uh, obviously, like he's taking all the precautions and everything and like, you know, inshallah, he he stays safe, but it's, yeah, man, it's, it's hard. I think uh, a lot of people that I've spoken to are having, are having, similar issues with their parents like uh you know a lot of and again i'm not it's like just this is a general sentiment like everyone's like man my parents can't sit at home like Mm -hmm. they've got itchy fingers like they've got to go out they've got to do this they've got to do that because they're so into their routines it is very difficult for them to to stay home especially if they're in a situation where you know and and i really sympathize with this is like they're if everyone in their house has grown up and left so to speak yeah you know uh then it's hard to just sit at home for two weeks or three yeah, weeks definitely. and i think you know, and and part of the problem too is the it's the uncertainty so if if we went into it let's say last weekend saying okay we're all gonna quarantine for a month and then after that month is all good we can start meeting you know everything's back to normal then it's easy to say like okay we're all just gonna tough it out for this month and then we're good. The The harder part now is the uncertainty of we don't know when this is going to end or when things will ever go back to normal. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that even with those whole, you know, they say, oh, it's a two week incubation period. But it's like, when are you supposed to do that two weeks? Like, am I doing it every time I go out? Does that reset the two weeks? Like, when and can we go? Like my wife and I, we visit our in-laws. But we stay away from her uh, grandma, right? It's like she's very elderly. They've made sure that, you know, whoever's going out isn't really interacting with her and stuff and like keeping that area separate, uh, trying to keep her as safe as possible. But then it's like, when does that, does that reset? Like every time we leave the house, does that two week kind of period reset? Do we then like push it back another two weeks? I think that's what's really, you know, scary for people is that they don't really know also with, uh, when everyone's like, oh, you just got to self-isolate for two weeks. It's like, okay, after that two weeks, do you exit and then, another self-isolate because you might not have had it for those two weeks and then you catch it then i don't know man it's there's 
it's it's crazy because you don't know who you're running into or who's who's got it who doesn't like i don't know it's yeah i definitely think i was exposed because i mean i wasn't working from home until last week like end of tuesday they finally sent us home um and i was taking the train in every day and stuff by then it was like a ghost town um and someone who had been in contact with it had actually come to our office um i wasn't there the morning of that day but i was there later that day so i was like they disinfected it after that but it's just like so many unknowns of like do i have it or not and like yeah i went um, i went grocery shopping last weekend so you know i could have gotten it yeah um but i probably won't know until uh what sometime next week if i start showing symptoms but exactly like but then but then if i do like then my whole family's got it (laughs) (laughs) exactly and that's the thing it's like oh they're like stay at your household it's like well then everyone in my household is exposed if i'm exposed right so it's like are we just like doing it in smaller groups i think that's the big thing right that's like if it's only like four or five of y'all infected it's better than if you went to like juma and infected like 200 300 people yeah and that you know and that and that's like the one thing on the community level that people don't get it's not about you going and getting sick it's you have to do your part to make sure that you don't give it to other people as well yep there was a there was a recent uh person at our local masjid who was tested positive um and they were like oh he visited you know the masjid i think it was like 11 days ago um and so now like everyone who's there that day you know he played basketball he prayed so uh, and so everyone who was there is like, oh, my God, am I infected? And they've been going out and, you know, up until recently when the stay at home plays, you know, they were going out with their friends and stuff. So now their friends are like, oh, do you give it to me? And, but the thing is, is until there's more testing available, we just won't know. Right. It's like, OK, yeah. I'll just keep living and then hopefully I don't have it. Yeah. I'm the the craziest things that we can't get tests. So <laughs> <laughs> is Dallas any better? Chicago? I know in Chicago, it's very hard. Like the basically if you're not like showing any symptoms and even if you're showing symptoms, it's like okay, they like go through a checklist like, have you been to any other affected countries? Do you verifiably know that you've been near someone who's been affected? And until then, it's like they won't test you. Like so many people have been denied. Yeah, I don't think it's any better here. Um, I I know of one or two people that, that got sick and went to get checked out and they wouldn't test them. Yeah, that happened with my mom. She actually came back from Pakistan you know, like last weekend. And she was a little bit sick. Um, I think she said it was just allergies, but everyone was like, just get tested just in case. But even when she went to the hospital, they're like, oh, it's probably just allergies. You don't have enough of like the symptoms to be tested. Yeah. So you'd, probably just, like, have, like, you'd probably just have the cold or whatever. Yeah, that's what they were like. And she was like, okay, I mean, what else can I do, right? They said, I don't, I can't get tested. I can't get tested. But she was like coming from Pakistan and stuff. So, which isn't doing much better right now. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, our... Yeah, the, the <laughs> testing is a whole different uh, tangent. <laughs> it's, but so yeah, so how is it? You know, getting back to you know, you're saying it's been hard, you know, not being able to see your family and stuff. But within your guys' own house, how's it been? You know, now that everyone's in home all day, um, are you guys having to kind of adapt in terms of like schedule activities? I know my wife and I, we kind of like literally did like an activity book where it's like okay, we need to do some of these things like every day or like space it out throughout the week just so we don't fall into like a row of just like work and like sleep every day at home and like kind of go crazy. Yeah, we're just trying to mix it up with things like movie night, game night. Uh, I, I started trying to make a list of like 90s movies and stuff to watch with the kids. <laughs> so we did one last night and then, uh, you know, it's, I guess, like I said, we're being a little bit, 
hands off. So I would say the majority of the day, mm-hmm. everyone's just kind of doing their own thing. Okay, yeah. Um, I've like my personal distraction has been reading. I think I've probably finished five books since the quarantine thing started. <laughs> so I've I've just made like a pile of books. I'm like these are the ones I want to get through like as quickly as possible. And I'm like my it's like my personal little game. Like how many can I finish? So mm-hmm. I'm just trying to plow through as much as I can just to like keep my mind focused on something. Get that kind um, of paperwork. I know you're asking me about it. Yeah, because but right now I've got enough physical ones to go through. The paper white <laughs> I was thinking about just for like fiction books and stuff. Oh, definitely. That, yeah, that's what's helped me a lot. Uh, I think especially reading late night, you know, when the wife's sleeping, lights are off, like that having that light built in helps out a lot just getting extra reading done. Mm, okay, yeah, I might have to check that out. Um, but even with the kids, we've we've laxed up for right now, at least like we've laxed up on screen time and things like that. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's like that meme floating around that like the only thing you have to do to save the world is sit in bed and watch Netflix. (laughs) You know, there's a certain element of truth to that. Like if you can just manage, I mean, it's, it's ludicrous in a, in a sense though. Like, I mean, Alhamdulillah, we, it should be like a wake up call of how luxurious our lives are. Mm-hmm. that we're not escaping like you know a war-torn country or something like like you know i mean these are like real things that people are dealing with and like alhamdulillah like alhamdulillah for us our our biggest problem is we have to stay home and watch netflix and get groceries delivered to our house by amazon when we run out yeah th- i think the biggest challenge so far has been in like when grocery stores were like running low because everyone was panic buying so it's yeah. like oh we couldn't find bread for like two days that was like the biggest challenge so far like in humble it's how blessed we are that that's kind of been like our biggest challenge and then just kind of dealing with being in you know the and, same and, place all day yeah and that's not to undermine like i know a lot of people are going through difficulties with getting laid off from work or things like that so it's not it's not meant to undermine those things uh definitely but you know in general mm-hmm we have things quite a bit easier than a lot of people in the world, even in a crisis situation. Yeah, I think one of the craziest things right now is just kind of seeing all the people realize like what this type of situation kind of is analogy to. Like I saw a lot of people talking about how, oh man, I can't even imagine people in solitary confinement or like, oh man, I can't imagine people like, you know, in those refugee camps. Like they're kind of like getting a sense and they're in a first world kind of like living space and now they're like kind of realizing just because they have to stay in that same space. Um, so it is giving a lot of people perspective. And I'm hoping, you know, that kind of carries through after the pandemic as well. Yeah, that, that'll that be the thing to see is, you know, and it, it could go either way, right? Like it could result in more compassion for the poor and things like that. Like, you know, one thing um, I was thinking about and I saw someone tweet it earlier was all these people that are having to come into work uh, at the grocery store, at the gas station um, that are getting paid minimum wage. These, it should be very obvious now that that's not right. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't before, this should make it abundantly clear that those people should be getting like a living wage. Uh, Cause on like, on what planet is it worth going and exposing yourself to a life-threatening illness for a wage that you can't even pay rent on <laughs> you know yeah, like, so, and like a lot of them don't even get like paid sick leave like it's i know kroger only until recently until um this really uh, amazing newsletter called popular information that does kind of like a lot of independent journalism they did an expose on how kroger wasn't providing paid sick leave 
And until like they're kind of exposed, then they like took small steps. Then they're like, okay, only if you're showing symptoms or only if you've gotten like a verified test, will you get paid sick leave? Not even if you're showing symptoms. And then like after more investigation was done on them, they gave everyone a $25 gift card. Not even joking. Kroger gave all of their employees a $25 gift card to show them how much they valued them. And everyone was like, "Um, okay. And then after that, like after more investigation was done and that was exposed, like, okay, now we'll give paid sick leave, you know, if you're showing symptoms and stuff and like if you need it. Yeah, it's mind boggling. Anything else that you think we should tackle or you want to talk about? No, I was going to say like kind of going on that theme of, I don't know, I guess maybe the spiritual side of it in a sense, right? Like just the reflections of like different people's situations. You know, one sentiment that I saw online was this idea of like, well, the the economic impact isn't worth the quarantine. Like we should just go out and live our lives and like whatever happens, happens because it's affecting the elderly more anyway. And, you know, we're more immune and this and that. Like, I think a lot of that shows how selfish and individualistic a lot of our culture is. Yeah. Um, when I say culture, I don't mean like Muslim or American. It's like inclusive, like all of us that live here, you know, um, that mentality is very pervasive. And so one hope that I have is that maybe this causes some reflection on that about just how we're approaching and thinking about others or the the welfare of others, because that's something that I think for a long time uh, hasn't been given its proper due. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, you're definitely right about this isn't just like an American or just a Muslim thing. Like this is kind of everyone over here because um, I've seen it in our communities as well. Like people going out and they're just like, it's whatever, right? Like I'll be fine. And it's more about like them being fine. And then so many people were like, oh man, look at all this damage it's being done. Like when will this end? Like, is it going to be worth it? Um, so it is pervasive amongst everyone. I think that's something that definitely, you know, some of our organizations can maybe tackle during this time, like having a few of the lectures on it or online you know material about that like how we need to have more compassion for others and that you know it's not just about the economic aspect because that's only for this dunya but we need to look at the hereafter and like how it affects in both areas yeah so what are are some speaking about spiritual what are some of the things that you guys have been trying to do at home especially with the kids to kind of like you know stay focused on the dean and like kind of keep it going while during this time we just maintain like we do our little family halakha thing um we just try to maintain that uh and it's it's not anything elaborate i mean it's maybe like five ten minutes but just trying to keep something consistent with them and then i think beyond that is just uh you know when we have conversations about it at home it's you know we like so exactly we did like this whole little last couple of minutes that we talked about Mm -hmm. like we'll have those conversations at home and you know my hope is that it starts shifting their thinking on things you know like i'll give you an example one thing that came up was when school first got canceled uh i don't remember what we were talking about and one of my kids said man what kind of parent would be dumb enough to send their kids to school at a time like this and i was like well it's it's not about the parents being dumb enough to send their kids to school and we explained to them like look some people both parents have to work some people they don't have the luxury of working from home so they have to go to wherever they work, which means that there's not anyone to watch their kids and they might not be able to afford to pay someone to watch their kids. And some kids, the the lunch that they get at school is the only meal that they get that day because their family can't afford food. I'm like, so I went through all these, you know, different 
reasons why someone might want to send their kid to school in this time. And he was just like, oh, like, you know, I never thought about any of those things. So I think one thing is just trying to give them some perspective on like break breaking their bubble or bursting their bubble a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. I think one of the things that's really important in this time is I think structure within that. And I saw one of the things that you posted was having like a comma times. And then after I think also you guys have like the halakha and stuff. So that's really cool. Like making sure there's that time and everyone knows like, okay, stop what you're doing. It is a lot of time yeah. rather than just like, oh yeah, you know, oh, during this, uh, you know, range of time, make sure you pray and stuff. Yeah. And again, and it's just keeping it simple too, right? It's not being overbearing. Like even the, you know, even the halakha thing that we do, we're just doing like, a super summarized run through of like the Sira. Mm -hmm. Or we'll just maybe take one hadith and just take a couple of basic lessons. Like what does it mean to have a good intention or something like that? Right. It's not educational as much as it is just, Hey, this should be something that you think about and look at every day. Now that makes sense. I think that's one of the big things, especially with kids and the youth that I've noticed is that if you're just going to be giving, you know, dates and, you know, facts and stuff, they're going to kind of tune out. But if you just connect it, they'll more easily, uh, was it, take it in as well. Because it won't be just something that, oh, this is another lesson, but kind of like, oh, here's this, you know, beautiful kind of story and this is what I need to learn from it. Yeah, my, like, my approach with with kids is it's the Islamic education doesn't need to be, does not need to be academic in the sense of they need to know everyone's names, they need to know all the dates you know, they like they don't need to be quizzed on like the seer or who narrated this hadith or, you know, things of that sort, uh, because the reality is like they can they can learn all that stuff later or they can get it from books or they can get it from other places. But it's more learning how their faith should kind of anchor their character and the way that they see things is kind of the more important thing, right? Like how they act with one another or. Uh, how they you know just how exactly you know these kind of like how they approach or think about a situation like this yeah i know that makes a lot of sense jazakallah khair for joining us it's been a real good treat having you on the show um learning about how you and your family have been adapting to this pandemic uh how about you tell the audience a little bit about what you got going on yeah i know jazakallah khair for having me on um you can basically everything I do is at ibnabiumar.com, I-B-N-A-B-E-E-O-M-A-R.com. You can find all my articles, link to my podcast, all that good stuff. And then social media is the same. It's just at ibnabiumar on Instagram and Twitter. I'm in Jazakla Care. Uh, and to everyone else, you know, you can always find us at Z-B-H-O-Y and at I-M-M-T-Cast. Uh, check us out. And inshallah, we'll have a few more episodes coming out for season two. Salam. Like him, salam.